We're going to look at some of the latest cars that have come out so far this year. This is AutoLine. To know this business, you have to know the product, and that's what today's show is all about. Car sales are way down right now, but one of the segments where there is a lot of action right now is with small luxury crossovers. And with fuel economy regulations getting tighter, we're seeing automakers come out with smaller cars. But will Americans really squeeze into subcompacts? And if fuel economy is so important, how come we're seeing so much action with performance cars? Well, to discuss all these products and to get to the bottom of those questions, I'll be joined by three experts who have been in these cars. Eddie Alterman is the editor of Car and Driver magazine. Stephanie Brindley is with the automotive consulting firm Auto Pacific. And Frank Marcus is the technical editor of Motor Trend magazine. If you want to get quickly up to speed with some of the top new cars that have come out so far this year, stay right where you are. We will be back right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion all about so far this year, what kind of new cars have come out with Stephanie Brindley from Auto Pacific, Eddie Alterman from Car and Driver, and Frank Marcus from Motor Trend. Great having you all here. Thanks, John. Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. With all these new vehicles that have come out so far this year, do you see any sort of trends emerging as to what's in the showrooms these days? There's, there's a lot of different things out there. What we're seeing probably most of right now is small luxury crossovers. We've got Volvo XC60, the Audi Q5, the Mercedes GLK. These are like the BMW X3 that's been out for a lot of years. It's a little early to see, to, to know exactly how much the public is t picking up on it. The big Volkswagen Tiguan is also kind of in that category and isn't selling quite as well as they had hoped it would. So it'll be interesting to see if the public really snaps onto well, these. Well, of course, nothing's selling like anybody had nothing hoped it is would, selling, but is, are right. these even lower even than lower, that? Even lower than what they, they expected with the bad economy and knowing that nothing is selling really well right now. What, what do you make of these vehicles? Well, you know, I think they're a lot more sensible and they don't send the kind of ostentatious message that uh, an Escalade would have mm -hmm. sent. Uh, you know, I think the, the sort of underlying theme here is that people still want big vehicles. And, and all the stuff we're hearing uh, about new cafe regulations and we're moving toward a small car future, um, I think people are going to resist that as much as they can. And, you know, you look at, at that segment, uh, those small SUVs, people are not using them as off-road vehicles. People are using them as station wagons. Right. But why and, and they wagons going? don't sell, obviously. Right. And, but they, they have sports sedans with a high seating position, that's what you get on these things. And, and it did look good on paper that, you know, right. the wealthier folks aren't as, a, as much, uh, you know, impacted by the economy. So you know, let's appeal to them with, with a, a gas mileage car that they can feel less, you know, guilty about. Right. And, We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. It, it is interesting. Eddie's absolutely right that, that coming into a cafe and coming into hearing a lot more about gas prices being volatile and expecting them to come back up again, it is a, a luxury SUV that you don't have to be embarrassed to buy. There's some retrenching, I think, mm -hmm. in the market. You know, people don't have to explain what a Honda Accord is to their neighbor, you know? 
And uh, I, I just think that people are, are more concerned about what kind of message they send. You know, either they do it for uh, social reasons or they do it for economic reasons, but there is a move towards smaller, more sensible vehicles. And there's more on the way, right? I mean, uh, the Cadillac SRX would fit into right. this category. Right. right, definitely downsizing, going after the RX uh, from Lexus, which is their, you know, key goal. and. Uh, which is actually a little bit bigger than some of these other ones we've right, talked yes. about, and a lot less engaging. You know, that car is sort of a benchmark in the class, but it's much more isolated, much less stirring where, than like an Audi or, or even the Mercedes. And uh, certainly even the, Vol the Volvo actually is, is quite uh, entertaining to drive. It's, it's the size target and also the kind of the user experience target. You know, everybody wants to be Lexus. They want that, that great uh, dealership experience, customer experience. Well, the size is interesting because it's not that far off from like a Ford Escape, which in, in our research, Ford Escape has always done really well because it's sized just right, really, for what people tend to need. And that's going to be true whether you're a mainstream buyer or whether you're a luxury buyer. But what so is it about this, uh, this SUV kind of look that even as they downsize, they want to keep that SUV look? Well, why? I think it's about safety. I think it's a little bit about status, too. Perceived safety. Perceived yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that perception is reality in the car market, obviously, like so many other things. And uh, people perceive it as, as uh, you know, they've bought the whole active lifestyle thing that, that the car makers have been selling for the past, I don't know, 15 years. It's sunk in. One of the things that's taken place with all the new cars that have come out so far is at the opposite end of the uh, spectrum. Frank, we got the, the new Chevy Camaros out right now. Uh, the Hyundai Genesis Coupe is, is just coming out right now. And there's a new Ford Mustang on the way, or it's here, or what? 2010. It's here. Yeah, it's, they're available now. Talk right. a little bit about these cars. I mean, you know, we talked about, oh, you got to be status conscious, and you got to be good for the planet. And you know, you know I spent about breeders. a month driving nothing but those cars, drove every single variant, and it really felt like fiddling while Rome burns. I mean, it's like, here's all the great, you know, <laughs> GM, Ford, and Chrysler, all oh, the good old days. Remember back in the 60s when nobody was, you know, bankrupt and so forth? Uh, there is quite a lot of personality there. Um, I think, to, for me, the uh, Camaro, is, is one of my favorites in that it, it's retro, but a better reinterpretation. Uh, on the other hand, the, uh, the, the Mustang is quite a bit lighter, uh, you know, similar vehicle to similar vehicle than either of the, the other two in the big three versions, and, and that really pays off. I mean, they've got lower horsepower, um, their V8's close to the, the V6 power on the Camaro, right. and yet the uh, performance is right in the hunt with well, the V8. Well, you'd know better than anybody. Power to weight is what you really got to talk about, Absolutely. not just horsepower. Absolutely, and because that really, you know, comes in in the handling and all the rest of that. I mean, that is you know, almost the most dedicated platform, really. That, that thing was made to be a Mustang, and, and they made some other things out of it and whatever. These other ones were trying to make small cars out of big ones, and you always carry around a little extra baggage when you do that, and it you know, keeps you out. Now, the, the Genesis is another case where, you know, yeah, they sort of made a small car out of a big one, but that wasn't as big to begin with, and, and that's a slightly more successful transition to me. Handling-wise, that car is, is, is a lot to recommend it. Uh, we came down on the other side than uh, my colleagues over here at Car and Driver did and, and gave the, uh, the Genesis the nod over the V6 Camaro in a recent uh, comparison test, uh, mostly on handling grounds. Well, and it's interesting, too, with the, with the Camaro and the Mustang. The Mustang is still going to trounce the Camaro in sales. Oh, absolutely. Without even yeah. blinking. That's no effort no there. No question. But the Hyundai, the, one of the interesting things about the Genesis Coupe is it's, it's the first really emotional Hyundai product that we have out there. And it's one that the company can get behind. And, and it is emotional. And with the i4 engine, it's easily tunable. So you can get people who are, are not necessarily willing to step up to the V6, but want to goose a little bit more power out of it, which is a whole different animal 
than a Camaro and a Mustang. Right, the engine is related to the Evo, the Mitsubishi right. Evo engine, so. You know what's so interesting to me about the Genesis is here are two vastly different cars with vastly different missions. You mean with the same between name. the coupe and the, the sedan? The coupe and the sedan, the same name. That's, that's strange, but it's working, it, it seems. Why is it working? I don't know why. Is it because just because the Genesis name is good enough that it carries it, or the cars are good enough? But yeah, why would you have the same name, Genesis, on a luxury sedan versus completely you know, a two-door yeah. you know, sporty car. Maybe the halo effect of the luxury sedan going up against Mercedes E-Class and, and Lexus GS and things like that rubs off on, on the sport coupe, so you don't think of it as a Tiburon. Maybe right. it's genius. Who knows? It yeah, seems, maybe it's it just odd. trying to you know, piggyback early and invest in one name and you know, sell two cars. I don't well, know. it kind of been said that if you've got a good product, the name really doesn't matter. You can have a bad name on a good product. If you've got a good product, it's still going to rise and it's still going to impress drivers and it's still going to impress people in the showroom. So I just wonder about confusion in the consumer's mind. Like, I went in for a Hyundai Genesis, this luxury experience. Right. Uh, well, there's a four-door and a two-door. Uh, well, what's the two-door like? And, and somebody gets in it. It's so vastly different. It's so hard-edged. I mean, um, it, I think to Frank's point, you know, they, th the car is a scaled-down version of the sedan, like, like the Camaro, but it's so much tighter. And, I mean, it just gives you... A, a less of a GT experience and more of kind of a pure sports car mm -hmm. experience. You know, one thing, just sticking with this common name, I wonder if they're going to report sales just as the Genesis, and that way they can hide that which one it. isn't doing all that well. All and, or, or be able to say, look at the volume we've got with the Genesis, yeah. even though they're two totally different cars. Is, is the Genesis enough to pull people out of their Mustangs, Challengers, and Camaros? No. No, no one will be steered out of one of those so. cars. No. Those people have been headed for one of those cars their whole life. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's what we can do comparison tests all day long, and they're totally irrelevant on the market, I think. <laughs> now, having said that, there are people who will be attracted to the Genesis Coupe, and they may not be attracted to the Mustang. An Eclipse buyer yeah, right. is, is perfect for that. Guys, oh. who are, I know it's blasphemy to say this, but uh, guys who, who want that Toyota Supra can't get it yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, Rear uh, drive. Maybe some right. Nissan 370Z. I so mean, even this if you can't so Hyundai's target is really the Japanese makes, yeah. not the domestic yeah, makes. So. It's pretty wide. But, you know, one of the things I like about the Camaro is that it's no longer the knuckle-dragging mouth breather <laughs> that, it, that it used to be. You know, the, uh, that, that car started out sort of pure, you know. It was like a European-style GT, and you used to look at the, the old ads and, like, the brochures for the 67 Camaro, and, you know, it was like really fit-looking guys with sweaters tied around their necks, and, you know, it was, there was not a mullet to be seen. <laughs> the, the, the thing that... Uh, kind of advertising reality. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, no, I mean, those were all V6, and they said, yeah. we're going to make a kind of European-style GT. And people projected themselves onto that car in, a, in a, a host of interesting ways. And the car went down this kind of extreme hot rod uh, route uh, in the third and fourth generation, especially the fourth generation. It was a great car, it was a great car, but the baggage that was trailing behind it, I mean, was just oppressive. So this car kind of resets it a little bit, and, and I think that more people can see themselves in a Camaro than, than was previously the case. And it's sort of an interesting uh, move for, for General Motors, and I think a very successful one. Um, I would never, ever in a million years envision myself in a you know, fourth generation Z28. But there's something about the, that SS, and even the V6. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the V6, it's not a secretary's car It makes anymore. a great sound, a great really a nice vehicle, yeah. Well, anecdotally, I was getting a lot more interest in, in people from friends who knew that I was having a Mustang. They were way more interested in the Camaro. <laughs> 
you get the phone calls. When can I come see it? When you know the Mustang? They're like, yeah, good. That's that's well, nice the Mustang's Mustang. been out there. There's a yeah. continuity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is, you know, yeah. not a lack of interest, but not the same interest. And at yet, all. you know, when I drive them around, it seems like the Challenger. You pull into a, <laughs> a, a you know, garage, a gas station or something, and people just go nuts over that one because yeah. that is the most. True to the original design. That's I mean, dynamite looking. Nothing. But man, that yeah. thing is large to drive around in. It yeah. is, but you know, there there is a trade-off with that. It's got a comfortable rear seat right. with lots of legroom. If leg you room. can get into it, well, it is the worst mechanism for getting in the back seat right. on the market. It, it may be, but it's no, you know, not easy getting in the, the back seat of the Camaro or the Mustang either. Yeah, but, but their seats slide forwards. Or this one, it, if everything's manual. You can move the seat drag forward and click it, and then there's no memory and so forth, or power the drivers. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. That come on, we, we should have sprung for some sort of a, a, fa a rear seat entry system. Good point. Well, it's great when we're arguing about how to get into the backseat about those cars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what about the small end of the market? You know, on our list here of what's come out so far this year, Kia Soul, Mazda 3, uh, Nissan Cube is on the way, too. I, I know we got it on the list. It's been intro to the press, but I don't think you can buy it quite yet. Who wants to pick up so. this part of it? Kia Soul is is more sporting intended of theirs, and it's that's the the one that's going for more fun. The Kia, the sorry, the Nissan Cube, is more of a lounge type situation. Bring your friends, be casual, and, and have fun. That seems to be the two personalities that those are both going for. But it they're both about bringing having your friends with you, and and being able to do it small, being able to do it economically. This sort of feeds into what we were talking about earlier. If you're going to mm -hmm. sell small cars to Americans. You got to add something. You have to bring something to the, to the party. You know, I think Mini showed the way forward. With uh, they were able to sell a small premium car because the car was so much fun. It uh, was such a great buying experience. You could customize it. You could make it your own. Mm -hmm. It looked great. It was kind of a cult car. You know, people from all walks of life wanted a Mini, um, and it, it sort of transcended that small car stigma. And I think that's what these people, are, you know, the, the other car makers are trying to do with vehicles like Cube, which have a very, very kind of J-cool, you know, Japanese feel to them and have a, a little bit of that exoticism that maybe the, the Mini has. And, and Soul is clearly trying to go for that, too. Right. The style is everything. You know, the original, you know, BB, mm -hmm. XB over here was very Japanese and you can very square and so forth. And it sold like hotcakes. The new one has been a little cool on the, you know, on the style side. And I think this is the first really cool looking Kia. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Fun to drive, a little bit rough around the edges. You know, they're, they're still learning a little of something about powertrain and you know chassis refinement and so forth. The Cube, very interesting and funky looking, very strange. I mean, it is so square that it's it's difficult to reach anything you know towards the ceiling or the roof because you you, you know when you stand you're falling out of the car or whatever. But and, and not very fun to drive. Underpowered, I think that car. It needs a little more oomph uh, to suit me anyway. It's it's wraparound window looks real strange in the parking lot. <laughs> well, it's, and, it's an and will thing. asymmetry catch on? I mean, that's yeah. one of the few Pretty asymmetric quiet. cars around. You know, uh, we'll see. You know, to me, the the original XB or the BB, as they called it in Japan, worked because it was never styled. Right. They, right. they tried to just go for maximum efficiency, and and it was more of a utilitarian vehicle in mm -hmm. Japan. It came over here and became a cult hit. And then everybody went, oh, that's what you got to do. So to your point, the second generation XB. Kind of, they tried to style that in in that way, and it, it hasn't quite worked as well. And that that's my question: Will the Soul and uh, the Cube run into that same sort of problem that they're red hot for 12 to 14 months, and then everybody says, "Now what's new?" There's always that potential. <laughs> yeah, you're selling fashion cars, right? You are right, exactly. Uh, 
and especially at a, at a low price, but trying to get as much volume as possible. And I, I wonder, is, well, is that well, going to work? It'll be interesting to see what, what Kia does with, you know, right now they have very funky interior fabrics and trims and so forth, and that stuff is cheap and easy to change. So if every couple of years or a year or two, you, you know, you do some exotic, new, weird, you know, package that way, you might keep the pot boiling. We'll the see. mini model obtains here, too. If you can keep uh, customers interested, you can keep offering, you know, new novel things to do with your car. I think even Scion has, has a good program for keeping people, you know, keeping the car as part of a person's life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the way you do it. Well, whenever you buy a Scion, it's a starter kit anyway. I think right. there's like $2,000 is like the average that people spend on dealer accessories and so forth. It's I almost mean, like a Porsche. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, relative to this whole conversation and looking at the, the first XB to the second XB and the second XB being overclinicked and they asked their owners what they wanted. Do you want it a little bit bigger? Do you want a little bit more power? Well, they all yes, said yes. 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 <laughs> because you, you tend to do that when you ask, you're asked about your, sec, your next car. Well, Mazda 3, this time around, was really successful, their prior generation, and they went very evolutionary with this one. And hopefully that'll work out for them. It, it should, because it was a great package. And that's what Kia, if Kia and, and, and Nissan have hits with, these, with the Soul and the Cube, they have to be really careful about moving the bar, but making sure that they don't lose track of, of what the personality core was that, that was attractive to the buyers. Do you dig that facelifted look? Uh, <laughs> that, that's a really good point. You know, I think one of the other trends is, is the emergence of the face. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's out of control. I mean, that Mazda 3, I mean, it, it's a big, great car, oh, but that I, grinning I, face, it, I mean, it's it, like you it's, can see it from a mile away. It's too much for me. That's my take. I think it almost started with something like uh, Chrysler 300 mm. um, with, with that, you know, unmistakable grill. It was just, you know, you saw it in the rear of your mirror. You knew exactly what it was, and it was a carrier for the brand. And Audi went down that road. BMW, you see going down that road. It's almost, it's, grotesque might be the wrong word, but I mean, it's, it's exaggerated. Yeah, it's grotesque. It, it's exaggerated, but it's, it's just a little too much for me. But I said that about the Chrysler 300, and it was a mega hit. Right. Well, the, the Fiesta's got a bigger nose or bigger face like that than the Mazda 3 yeah, does. Yeah, the headlight almost hits the 8-pillar, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the Mazda 3 will warm you up. Not only Fiesta. that, but I, I know on the Ford Fiesta, they went back and bumped up the size of the blue oval. After they had committed to tooling on the front end, the yeah. designer went, nah, it's got to be bigger. And they never do that. But these days, I guess, you know, the bigger the better in that regard. What about more on the luxurious end, but still small, Audi A4? Um, Audi A4 is the new one is a, is a great drive. Um, the interesting thing is for 2010, they're going to take the 3.2-liter V6 out. Might as well, because the 2-liter well. has yeah. got more torque, and yep. it's more fun to drive, and the price point was better. Exactly. And they can and charge $50,000 for a car with well, a 2. Well, can they? Because, I mean, I actually balk oh about God. that, I, especially since we drove it back-to-back -back with a, a Passat CC and actually kind of preferred the drivability of the Passat CC. So, um, yeah, I, I have to say I push back a little on the price. It starts at a nice 33000 right. 33, yeah. or $35,000. Audis can yeah. very expensive very quickly. That, that's definitely By putting the stuff on, a lot of folks other, you know, have standards. So. Yeah, um, but I, I think that that's a smart move to go without the, the V6 for them. They have a buyer who's, who's naturally inclined to technology, technological advancement, and they're, they're embracing the, the engines that they have. So, you know, why mess with the V6 in this climate? And it, it's such a great package. Uh, the A4 is so elegant and so beautiful, and I think there's something that's, that's right about it. You know, it's so understated. 
and uh, there's such a groundswell. There's people love Audis. I, look, I keep saying Audi is going to be the next hot brand in the luxury segment. They've done. Some I think they're just going to be on fire. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of, let's talk because we got two other vehicles: the Q5 and the TTS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Q5, what do you make? Well, I mean, I think it is the best driving of the, that ilk that we mentioned earlier. I, I think it's got the best of the luxury SUV. Yeah, the, the new small, yeah. Right. Um, of course, that's with the V6, but, you know, very peppy and, and quite good fuel economy. It was, I think, the top-rated fuel economy in our as-tested, uh, in our comparison to those cars, too. So, you know, really... Uh, Pretty nice and good versatility. They got their back seat that moves, so you can buy us for luggage or, or people, whichever you need. You know, there's a lot of neat stuff going on there. They've really been successful at changing the perception of the brand. I think they've always, uh, I guess, for the past 20 years, since the uh, the A4 came out, that uh, mm -hmm. what was it, 90, 93, three A4. You know, yeah, I think that's right. For for 16 years, but it was been, kind of a pudgy looking little. Car. It was, but that started, you know, the reestablishment of the brand. But I think the the kind of the inflection point was the R8. They came out with a car that leapfrogged, for all intents and purposes, Mercedes and BMW. You know, those those brands, which had always been their they Audi saw as their main competition, but Audi could never really get into that top tier of luxury manufacturers. They came out with a car that didn't compete with Mercedes and BMW it was mid-engine. It competed with Porsche and Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And that's the good, that's the Audi with the good weight distribution. The rest of the Audis do <laughs> still have that kind yeah. of problem where, I mean, even the A4, which has managed to move the axle forward in car, you still got way over half the, the weight on the nose. And you can use Quattro and bias more, you know, power to the rear and all that stuff. But a BMW with a 50-50 or 51-49 is just going to have an advantage dynamically. However, on the other hand, you know, for how similar those systems look, Audi's MMI versus BMW's iDrive, night and day. I, I would use the MMI all day long, which is a million times easier right. to work with. Well, if you see the, the latest uh, 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 iDrives are starting to look more and more like the MMI with some buttons around sure. them. Yep. One, one question about Audi, though, the, 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 that I'll put to you, Stephanie, and you guys can jump in, too. To me, their Achilles heel, quality and dealer service. Dealer service is, is, is an Achilles heel for them, unfortunately. Um, and I think their quality has been coming up, and that's, that's easier. And it, it's offset by their dynamic interiors. Their interiors are, are the best. That's what everybody's always said. Yeah, yeah. they love it. And it, it, dealers, are, dealers are a tough thing to, to try and work mm -hmm. with and improve. You're absolutely right. I mean, anything we know is, is, tends to be uh, anecdotal. We don't do you know, large surveys and whatever. But I have that anecdotal sense, too, that Volkswagen Audi products, you know, might not be the, the, the maintenance-free proposition that an Acura, you know, or a Lexus is, you know. And they had that problem with the coil packs and then the window switches and they could sideline I mean, the we've had long-term cars where the interior had to come out because, of, you know, a, a fiber optic line or something, you know, was, you know, screwed up on the, you know, anything. But, you know, yes. people will put up with a lot if you're treated right at the dealership. Yeah. So right. that, that's yeah. going to be key. But we're going to have to wrap this conversation up. We've come to the end. But Stephanie, Eddie, Frank, thanks so much and thank all of you for tuning in. I'll be back with some closing thoughts. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv.
Thanks for tuning in to today's show about the new products that have come out so far this year. But actually, we only scratched the surface and we'll be doing more of this soon. And if you need more than a weekly dose of industry information, check out AutolineDaily.com. It's a six-minute daily webcast of what's going on in the global automotive industry. Then, on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., it's time for AutoLine After Hours, the first live webcast dedicated to the automotive industry. My co-hosts for that show are Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher of AutoExtremist.com, and Jason Vines, longtime public relations executive, who both bring a lot of experience to the discussion. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.